This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, we talk to a kick-ass drummer who's played with Wasp and Dee Snyder, Mike Dupke. Mike gives us first-hand info on what it's like working with Blackie Lawless. We have a blast also talking about Kiss, concept albums, and a whole lot more. Check it out. Welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing, Mike? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Hey, not much, man. Thanks for taking some time to talk to me today. Of course. So what's been going on? Have you uh, have you been affected by the whole COVID thing? Have you missed out on some touring? Um, yes. I would say uh, there's been touring and live shows and teaching, and I'm one of the millions that have been affected by this. Like, obviously, you've seen, like, pretty much every gig, every tour, every basically every musical act has come to a standstill. We're hoping, I mean, obviously you've seen too that like maybe it's starting to turn around. There's a lot of dates that people are saying might still potentially happen later in the summer and the fall, which would be great. But I think everyone's just kind of proceeding with caution as to whether or not it's going to be, you know, completely safe to get back into big numbers again. What have you been doing uh, in your downtime? Um, the, really the only gig that I would gig a, a job uh, that has been continuing is uh, one of the places that I teach is actually a kids music school called join the band in uh, in Van Nuys out here in LA and uh, after the lockdown started and kids all started doing homeschooling the uh, the couple that runs this uh, the this school they got a system going to keep everything going on uh, either Skype or or Zoom lessons, and uh, much to their happiness, the parents were all for it because since the kids were all going to be home, they're like, "Yeah, boy, we're, we're going to need you know things for uh, the the children to do." So most of the parents were cool with it. So luckily, I've been able to keep that up and and been able to do that via video from uh, my own personal practice space, which has been nice. So uh, I've gotten that a couple of days a week. But obviously, uh, Musicians Institute and all of you know live gigs around town and everywhere else are, are still on hold so i've been doing that uh and also and if you've probably seen like on my uh, my feed or anything if you took a look that uh, my son has been sick actually uh he was diagnosed with cancer last year and so we have been battling that but uh so far so good and he is doing wonderful but uh that's been taking up uh, a lot of our time as well Understood. I'm glad to hear that he's uh, he's doing a lot better. That's good to hear. Yeah. We're not 100% in the clear yet, but we are definitely speeding down that highway. And uh, I'll, I'll do a, a definite plug for uh, Children's Hospital Los Angeles is where he has received most most of his care so far. And that place is just, they're just wonderful. You know, those doctors and nurses there, like, uh, they're some of the greatest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Of Like, they're so awesome. They take such good care of everybody who's down there. So, yeah. Well, hey, man, I'll be praying for him. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he'll be cancer-free uh, very soon. That's the hope, for sure. Man. And thank you so much. I appreciate that. So, you got your professional start with John Mellencamp, correct? Yes. Very brief and a long time ago, but I had a, a very small stint with, uh, with him when I was studying with Kenny Aronoff at Indiana University in uh, the 90s, when I was at IU. Uh, and uh, he, had, he had put out a record, new record at the time, it was called Human Wheels, that had a bunch of extra percussion on it. And as, as I was told, uh, he got to see me in, uh, I was doing a marching band and uh, just about every band program that IU had at the time, uh, including the 
basketball uh, pep band uh, with uh, Bobby Knight. And uh, Mellicamp, who had season tickets to all the games, uh, said, uh, who's, who's that student uh, playing the drums? And Kenny's like, uh, you know, or, 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 who's that guy playing drums in the pep band? And, and he said, oh, that's, that's my student, although it was, I was one of about four or five drummers there. Uh, he goes, yeah, let, let, let's get him and come and play some trash cans uh, on, for a couple of shows. <laughs> so uh, Kenny brought me in, and I got to do a couple of concerts and, and performances and uh, one music video that he, he put out at the time. The whole thing really only lasted uh, a matter of months in the fall of 93, but it definitely uh, gave me a, a, a kickstart and, and was my first first real taste of, you know, like kind of, professionalism and and what could be so kind of use that as a starting point nice and so you're the dude jamming on tambourines and bongos on the arsenio hall performance right <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's the first time i ever came to la is uh we we went to stage 29 on the universal lot and yeah uh we did two songs uh from uh from the new record at the time yeah i played I played bonga. Yeah, one tune was like tambourines and bongos, and uh, the other song I literally played a trash can, <laughs> one of those like old '70s metal Brady Bunch trash cans turned upside down, and uh, and and just got to beat on that thing uh, with sticks and just. Watching the footage back now, I have that look on my face like <laughs> I can't believe this is happening, <laughs> but uh, it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. And and if I if I ever, if I ever see Melkamp again, I'd be sure to to thank him. Actually, I, I had a funny experience a couple of weeks ago, right before all of everything got shut down. Uh, the whiskey has that thing called the Ultimate Jam Night on Tuesday nights, where you know a whole bunch of uh, musician folks from the LA area get together to do whatever theme they have, like you know 80s or Slayer Night or or you know New York bands or something like that. And um, I actually got to run into uh, vocalist Roberta Freeman, who was one of the backup singers for Mellencamp at the time, who I had not seen since about uh, 93. And uh, I kind of came up and said, do you remember like some little punk kid who played a trash can next to Kenny? I'm like, that was me. And she's like, oh, God. So it was, it was good to see her again. You know, when you go back onto YouTube and you watch some of these performances on uh, Arsenio Hall, man, didn't he have some killer acts on his show? I mean, there's there's nothing like it today. Of course. Oh, that was, I, I was a fan. Like, and, and I think, you know, everybody my age was, like, always checked out Arsenio to see, you know, who he had on because he, he and it was so diverse. Too. It, was. it was. Like, he'd have... You know, the, the more the classic rock, you know, acts like Mellencamp, but also, uh, you know, like the the legends, like I want to say, like James Brown was on his show oh, yeah. too. Upwards, like bands like Living Color too. You know, yep. it's like it, it was the diversity was great. So you get to the two thousands and. Um you're in a band, Hair of the Dog. Now, I seemed like I had heard of Hair of the Dog, but I don't think I ever li- heard, heard any of the music. So I went back and listened uh, before our interview, and that's some pretty good stuff, man. That's some pretty good hard rock. That was pretty good hard rock. <laughs> <laughs> I say so, too. We were all, we were all really proud of, of what we did, and, and, I, and I came in later. Uh, the band had already put out one, uh, one record and had already done a, a fair amount of touring. Uh, Cinderella had taken them out and rat had taken them out and they had, they had already built up a name for themselves by the time I came in to write and record the, the second record rise. But 
I, you know, just a common story at the time, just, it just wasn't in the cards for as much as we thought, you know, we had the formula to, to really make it, you know, getting signed and all that and uh, happy with, with the material that we we're putting out, but it, it just, it just didn't happen, unfortunately. But uh, you can look back in, at those times and, and just really enjoy it. You know, that, that was the first bit of, like, aside from, you know, I didn't get to tour with Melicamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hair of the Dog was the first real touring experience that I ever had, and, and it was just a whole bunch of fun because those guys were just a bunch of stand-up gentlemen and, uh, you know, always liked having a good time. And the, that music was all about fun. Uh, so it was a great experience with those guys as well. So Ryan Cook was the singer, and for all the listeners who don't know, he went on to play in the Gene Simmons band and the Ace Freely solo band, correct? That's right. Yes. So there's the Kiss connection, and I think on the album, the end of the album, you guys do I. Don't you do a cover of I? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you listened to it. We we, we thought we we had a lot of fun putting in a, a real small... Um, uh, kiss montage instead of the usual just guitar hits and clapping like the original uh-huh. we played like little snip, snippets of uh, like four or five different different kiss songs because yeah all of all of us have, have, were always you know huge kiss geeks yeah. for sure i certainly was you know, since i was in kindergarten <laughs> uh, i'm happy you talk about the emails that kiss seems to come up in every conversation I'm like well yeah yeah you know of course yeah, Kiss, always, Kiss is my favorite band. They always come up. So, what's your? You got a favorite era of the band? Oh, uh, no, I do not have a favorite era of the band because I was pretty. I have been pretty much a fan all the way through. I, I do confess that some of the the more recent releases, like Sonic Boom and Monster, I haven't checked out you know as, mm-hmm. as much as as the classics or even the you know the 80s or, or 90s stuff no i was uh I, I was still the guy in uh you know 96 that that went to uh i i think it was like some supermarket that had a, a ticket master booth and like tickets were going to go on sale for the reunion tour at like 10 a.m and i got there at 6 a.m so i could camp out yeah um as I had a, uh, the manager of the store yelling at me because I guess I was blocking the donuts or something like that. But uh, ended up getting my tickets and, and that that first reunion show in '96. That that's still one of my favorite concerts of all time because I did I you know they were still finding their ground musically at that point. They were still getting used to each other. Yeah. But dude, I I have not I don't think ever heard an arena crowd like that that roof was flapping like just the audience reaction was just unreal everyone was screaming their asses off and that's what made it so much fun yeah that that was good stuff because i never got to see him with the makeup uh i i think the first time i saw him was on the hot in the shade tour so it was uh it was awesome to see the original guys in makeup but if i had to go back and pick an era man i like some of those weird eras like i like uh dynasty and unmasked and creatures of the night i kind of like some of those more uh lesser known or offbeat eras of the band you know sure absolutely i mean and there, there was that's why i don't think i can pick a favorite it's like so you, you like you pick any record and i'm like okay like i didn't like this song and this song as much but this song oh man like you want to talk about <laughs> torpedo girl it's like yes i'm there <laughs> yeah. i'm on board like that played that on vinyl like over and over and over again you know and i i like i didn't get unmasked until i like i think it was like maybe 87 87 88 on vinyl like mm-hmm. I, I was still completing my collection at that point yep 
Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, to go and hear that, it's like, oh, wow, interesting. And then, you know, and then finding out later that it was Anton Fig that, you know, played uh, played drums on, on that whole record in most of Dynasty. It's like, oh, man, new things to be discovered all the time. Oh, yeah, all the Kiss, the Kiss secrets. <laughs> all the <laughs> yeah. All the kids' secrets, and 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 have to to give a nod and a tip of the hat to to Bob Kulick, uh, of course. Like that was that was real sad losing him recently. Yes. But finding out, you know, like as the history got more and more revealed, like finding out just how much you know, much of, of a bigger part uh, he was with Kiss than most people realize. You know that I, I was one of the guys that the first time I ever heard of him was seeing pictures of Paul Stanley's solo tour. Solo tour, yep. In '89. And then they go, oh wait, no, he actually, uh, yeah, those 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 tracks on Alive too, those new ones, yeah, like that was uh, he was on a lot of that. He's been a part of the family for longer than we knew. Yeah, he'll be missed. He, he was, he awesome. was yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was something. So Wasp, how did the Wasp gig come about? Uh, the Wasp gig came about from uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mark Zavon, a uh, guitar player who uh, props to him uh, became the uh, guitar player for Kill Devil Hill with. Uh, Vinny Apice and uh, Rex from Pantera, uh, not that long ago. Uh, he knew the guy. He knew uh, Blackie and Mike Duda. And when they were looking for a new drummer, I had been jamming with Mark actually just in like this weird Saturday afternoon covers gig down in uh, one of the beaches in LA. I think it was like uh, Hermosa Beach, uh, just playing Beatles and Zeppelin covers. But I had gotten to know Mark and, and uh, play with him a bit. And when they were looking, uh, Mark dropped my name to them. And it kind of all came together in the course of like a couple of days. Um, I, I want to say like, I, I got the call on a Monday and Zavon said, hey, you know, Watson's looking for a drummer. I went to Duda's house the next day to get a bunch of CDs, meet Duda. And I ended up talking to Blackie on the phone, auditioned on Wednesday, and uh, he, Blackie's like, you know, like, you, you, oh, you played pretty well. Like, you know, you, why, like, you know, you don't have a real gig right now. I said, no. He goes, well, what have you been waiting for? I'm like, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> this is it. And uh, so he asked me, like, what my schedule was, and uh, I told him I was working a delivery job that I had to be at, like, four days a week at, uh, at five in the morning. And Blackie goes, all right, well, uh, we want to get started right away, so uh, uh, this Friday is going to have to be your last day of work. It's like, okay, sure, no problem. Uh, so I, I was thrown uh, directly into the fire, uh, as it were, and, it, and you know, went right in. He went uh, right with the, the writing and recording of Dominator. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, the, the, after that record was done, the touring started almost immediately and con- and. and has always, you know, was always can always there. Pretty consistent tours. Yep. Uh, up until the time that I left. So, were you a Wasp fan back in the day, I, Mike? I was, although <laughs> I gotta confess, they were they were still kind of, you know, so uh, you know a little bit younger and and trying to be a good Catholic schoolboy at the time, and so. Uh, I thought, oh well, Wasp is Wasp is a little bit dangerous, and you know they have profanity in their songs. But you know that's okay because I also listen to Striper, and they're you know they're they're like the you know, the good side of metal. But then like the more I listen to Wasp, uh, you know, like they kind of lured me over to the dark side. And then of course getting to just you know all of a sudden play those songs that I had that I've been listening to for a while. It's like oh my god, this is just this is unbelievable. This is so much fun. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, definitely had them on my wall when I was a kid too. So it was it, it took a while to get past the kind of Wayne's World attitude about you know being in the band. <laughs> Is uh, Blackie hard to work with? I don't think so. Um, I know a lot of people. You know, I, I get asked that a lot, and, and I think because he has that kind of that mystique of you know the the hard nosed guy, pure mm-hmm. businessman, you know, uh, taskmaster, but. All, all he really asked of anybody that he worked with, whether you were in the band or in your crew, is that you just gave it your all, all the time. And, you know, like when I would, I would beat myself up, like, oh, dude, I, I dropped a stick when I was counting off a song. And he was like, that, dude, that's physical mistake. That's going to happen. You know, like you're going to slip on stage. You're going to drop a pick. You're going to drop a stick. Something is, you know, uh, the, the, you know, something's going to malfunction. But, you know, it, it was the mental mistakes that he he would come after you about. It's like, oh, I didn't start this song the right way. Well, that was that needed to be corrected very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I learned so much from him, and one of the other big things I can say about him is like, you know, sometimes you you, you think like a boss might be a diva, where like if they're having a bad day, you just want to avoid them. He he was never like that. He I mean, things got to him. Mm-hmm. But he would never like if if you if it wasn't your fault, he would never take it out on you. You know, if like if I had something that you know I need to ask or uh, you know like musically, like hey, do you want it like this? He he was always cool, um, and so I I'll always be grateful for the time that I got to stay in that band. You know, it's like it was it was yeah you know, I learned so much, and the, ultimately the music was just so much fun to do you know, night after night. I thought Dominator was a really good return to form for Wasp because I, I'll admit, man, there's some albums that he did. There's a lot of albums that he did that just, they don't register to my ears. I don't know what it is, but this one, I'm like, finally, I'm like, it's, it's good songs. Uh, straightforward you know what i mean even obviously your drumming on it is awesome but i felt like with that one i'm feeling the some of the old elements of wasp are back that's that's the way i felt sure i and i've heard that said as well and and that makes me happy dominator and babylon were, were both really well received um i remember him even saying that one time like more so than uh, a few of the releases before which you know was kind of always nice um but he he definitely, uh, when it comes to songwriting, he, he, he sweats every note. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is never just a, oh, okay, this is what it is, and let's do this, and let's, no, oh, it sounds good, let's leave it like that. After, even like after an idea gets put down to tape, he will, he will continue to work on it and like to see if it can get better. Uh, I've, I've never seen anything like it. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Because he will consider, like, you know, almost every possibility when it comes to the changes made within a song, uh, just to see if you can get, you know, make the song just, you know, 1% closer to, to what he thinks is the best that it could be. And it's, it's a fantastic thing to witness because he, he works so hard at it. Why doesn't Wasp tour the U.S. very much? Because um, you probably did, never really played much in the U.S., did you? When I was in the group, we did two tours in the U.S., and that was 2008 and 2010. And why, I, I, I hate to say, I really can't tell you. Um, for as much as I was involved in the music aspect of things and someone in the production, like, you know, I, I got to help edit some of the, the 
film clips that were used on stage and stuff like that. When it came to the business side or the business decisions of it, I was not involved at all. Uh, that was all to Blackie. So I'm sure if someone asks him that, you'll be able to get a lot more of a straight <laughs> answer. But I, I don't know. I think it could have been done. I'm, I'm really not sure. Hopefully he still will. And I would bet, you know, before he uh, decides to bow out and call it a day that he will do the States again, uh, just as a tribute to the fans that uh, have been there. But, uh, but I don't know. I'm not sure. It was, it was almost all Europe. Yeah. Almost all the touring that I ever did with the group was, uh, was European. So you kind of touched on something that I think about sometimes. So if he, if he bows out and he does a farewell, you think he's going to include any of the past original members, or do you feel that he's done with those guys? I don't know. I really, I'm really not sure. Only because it's, I mean, they're, they're, one thing I think it's fair to say about Wasp is that there was, I don't think, there was ever one single quintessential lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they had with the band. Obviously, like, you know, even look at the, the first four records, there were, there were different personnel. True. And so I'm, I'm not sure who he might include in something like that. He definitely might. I definitely, you know, can't say that he, that he wouldn't. But uh, I, I don't know if, like, if something like that would happen, like as far as who would he want uh, or just how that would all work. But who knows? It would be That's cool. See. It, <laughs> it would be awesome. It would definitely be cool. I could see that. <laughs> so one thing that I think most people will, will say about uh, Wasp and Blackie is that, man, he's he's a master of doing cover songs. And you guys do an awesome rendition of Burn <laughs> on Babylon. But, man, if, if you go through, like, the B-sides and the catalogs, I mean, obviously you go back to the real me and all these different songs. I mean, he's he does killer jobs on these cover songs. Sure. I mean, he, he, it seemed like he was always – uh, careful about picking which ones he wanted the band to record and just wanted to go with ones that he knew they would make, you know, we'd be able to make sound great. Uh, Burn was was fun. Um, we actually recorded that uh, in the Dominator sessions, mm-hmm. uh, but he he didn't think that it held, a, it, he didn't think it was going to fit on Dominator, but he ended up uh, including it in uh in um, babylon and uh yeah in the past he's done some that i thought were great I, I actually on my my uh computer i had things on shuffle and the lost cover of uh paint it black yeah uh by, from the stones came up and i was like oh dude like, <laughs> this is killer yeah i just found one the levy breaks and i didn't know that he did that one so it's every once in a while you'll just find one come out of the blue you know it's like wow yeah yeah some of the yeah, some of those that made the you know b-sides of, of singles and stuff like that and uh, and some were done like just for fun, like the um, uh, Promised Land. Also, the, the the Elvis tune. It's like he, you know, he is an Elvis nut. Is he? And uh, just always, always loved that tune, and just wanted to, you know, do a similar version to to the original, but just you know, with everything cranked up to eleven. And that was that was one of the the definitely one of the most fun. Uh, recording moments we ever i ever had in the studio was doing that i think like we we did it in like one take it was just it was so much fun you can hear it on the record now you you're on the um redone crimson idol right i am on most of it okay. i i'm I'm, i haven't looked in to see um which tracks ended up uh being done by who but i know frankie benali uh came and did uh uh a couple of tracks. I'm not sure which ones, 
but uh, he he is on there as well. You know, Crimson Idol for me, it's a, you know it's a noticeable change in the Wasp sound. Um, and you know, there's this thing that I that I'll be honest, it kind of drives me nuts, and I want to get your take on it as a drummer. Uh, Invisible Boy, Doctor Rocker, there's these incessant tom fills that are in these songs, and this kind of style. <laughs> Right, pops up in other albums. It's still not black enough. It's on a couple of those other albums have this constant fills. Now, why? Now, it's it's cool drumming, right? But for me, sometimes it, I'll be honest, it drives me nuts. What do you think? What do you think of these crazy Tom fills that go on, on on some of these songs? I think the vibe that he was going with when it came to the Crimson Idol was a a controlled Keith Moon. Right. Um, who? Yeah. The who, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely records like uh, Tommy and, and Quadrophenia were a huge influence in what he wanted to create with the Crimson Idol, I believe. And so, but rather than, you know, kind of like that stream of consciousness, Keith Moon approach of having a, a little bit more um, uh, planned, I guess, you know, kind of structure to it. And that, yes, that did become part of the Wasp drumming sound from there on out. Whether it works... On releases that he continued to put out, I guess that's up to the ear of the beholder. I think, yes, I, I think it definitely continues. You can hear a lot of that on uh, some of the Dominator and, and Babylon material, even through there. I guess I never I never viewed it as too much, only because I loved playing it. I loved <laughs> figuring out songs like uh, like Invisible Boy or like I Am One, which, I, I for my money, is the most challenging song uh, drum-wise on the Crimson Idol to get down note for note. I, I loved the, the, the structural approach that it kind of had when it comes to really trying to nail those drum parts. For, for me, no. I guess it, it never got too much, but I, I, I could see how it might be. <laughs> but, of course, for everyone who's going to say, you know, oh, I've read too much Tom Fields, they might go back and listen to, like, you know, the, the first or second record and go, man, it's like it's, it's kind of more simple drumming. It's like you need to, you need to kick up the fills a little bit. I, exactly. But that's, you know, that just is going to come down to musical opinion. Because it was so much, so much fun to play. Oh yeah, and I, you know, and I've caught some hate with a lot of my followers on Twitter. But I'll be honest, for some reason, I want to love Crimson Idol, and I don't. Not saying that I don't like it, but I just, it, 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 I don't know. I have a heart. It, something about it just doesn't register me with me as well as let's say the first four albums do. And that's why, like I say, like with Dominator, I felt like okay, uh, the kind of Wasp, the, the version of Wasp that I like, I'm hearing it again. Uh, I think they kind of lost me. I think with Crimson Idol and Still Not Black Enough, I got lost a, a little bit. And I know there's been different albums that, you know, KFD and, and um, uh, El Dorado, those are anomalies of their own, you know what I mean? So Blackie's been all over the place, but that sound that creeped in on the Crimson Idol, it's just not my favorite. I'm going to be honest. No, for sure. And I, I think Dominator was, uh, part of Dominator was a reaction to um, him wanting to take the whole concept record even a step further than that when he put out uh, you know the the two sequential records the Neon God right. one and two you know two full albums worth of of one single uh, concept you know it's it's almost like a, a, a double record in and of itself and because of that and because of the no, number of details in like the story that he was trying to to get through I think even he said you know you know that was too much let's Let's pull this back yeah. a little bit, uh, and and that was, I know that was uh, one of the reasons why Dominator was much more uh, straightforward, like it was. 
uh, was he, he was like, all right, you know, <laughs> let's 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 ease back on the concepts for a little bit and just go for some, you know, good good songwriting punch. Yeah. On uh, you know songs like uh, songs like Mercy and and. Uh, Stuff like that. Oh, I love Mercy. Now, you know, when you think of concept albums, you know, and this is my take, for me, they're kind of like hit or miss. You could take something like Operation Mindcrime, I say, that's a hit. I love that album. And it all works well. And then for some reason, I know there's albums that I want to love, like Crimson Idol, and even Streets by Sabotage. I don't know if you like Sabotage at all. That's one where, like, on paper, it sounds like I would love it, but for some reason, I don't. And I think sometimes the story's so much in the author's head, it's hard to get it out to the listener. And I think if you can't get the story or or if it doesn't seem coherent with the music, and sometimes it's just kind of lost, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, a part of that, I think, has to do with, like, whether or not, like, there's an act, like, when you say a concept record, or when any band says a concept record, it's like... Is there a story? Like someone told me, uh, I always read, or Maiden said that Seventh Son of a Seventh Son was a concept record, and so I listened to it straight through, and I'm like, what's, what's the story? Like, <laughs> right. what, trying, trying to figure out, like, like a, a plot. Or, I, <laughs> going back to Kiss for a second, I got a, a really skewed idea about The Elder because uh, I, I purchased it on Compact Disc, uh, when they had, remember the, the long boxes? Yes. When, when CDs were first released? I'm, boy, I'm dating myself now, but yeah. You kids don't know the, the, the joy of the long box. The long box kicked ass. Records. Back in the day. It kicked ass, uh, man. You could cut out pictures but, off of it, and, and you used to be able to cut it out and put it on your wall. I did. I did that. <laughs> I had Cowboys from Hell and Flying in a Blue Dream on, in long box format. Yep. And yeah, they, they went right up on the wall yep. for sure. But the, but with the Elder, and I'm sure, I'm sure you know this, like when they put it out on on CD, they they changed the order. Right. Like the the oath or, or the the fanfare and uh, or what just a boy was not first. The oath was first. Yep. And like the whole or, the, the the running order was all changed around. So I tried to get the you know like the story the plot from that order, and then seeing like you know like I think I saw a copy of, of like the original Elder on vinyl. I'm like, wait, this is. This is not how the story goes, but it, w- it was completely different on, on the original release. So, I don't know. Um, sometimes just concept records about a uh, concept can work, although in the case of like Operation Mindcrime, it definitely seems like it has a, a story. Like you can kind of see like a, 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 a timeline of events that happens within the record. And, uh, and, and that does it for me. Like, yeah, I friggin' love Mindcrime for yeah. sure. Um, but obviously... Uh, you know, taking a, uh, uh, the whole idea, we're going to tell a story now and try and, you know, what I guess can be construed as, as trying to up the musical quality of the band. <laughs> that sounded like Spinal Tap for a second. <laughs> musical quality. Uh, but that that might be hit or miss. You know, obviously, yeah. like Blackie tried to do that with, uh, you know, the, the double record of the uh, of the Neon God. And, and even he told me, he goes, yeah, you know, it ended up being too much. Too much story, mm-hmm. you know. You never know. You never. It, it, it's going to be up. It's going to be different from band to band. You never know what's going to come out uh, as something wonderful and something that's going to be hated. Or, or like you had mentioned, KFD. Like you said, the, the fan reaction to that record at the time was not good, right? People went like, "What? Yeah. What, what is it? What are you trying to be Nine Inch Nails or something? Like, what? What's going on here?" Uh, but then 
you know, years later, people are going, oh, man, I always, always loved KFD. And he's like, really? Did you love it when it came out? Because we had a hard time with that one. Yeah. You know, actually, I'm a, I think when it, at the end of the day, I just, I'm an, I have an oddball. I have oddball taste. Like, I like that one. <laughs> so, so I'm just an oddball. So, so everybody... Who likes Crimson yeah. Idol? They're, they should like Crimson Idol. It, it's an incredible record, but I'm just an oddball, and I'd probably rather listen to KFT. <laughs> uh, from what I can tell, it's definitely what started to cement Wasp being really big in Europe. Yes. Because I, I think I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that the Headless Children was probably the the peak of the band's popularity in America. Yes, uh, but it, but it only you know with the release of the Crimson Idol. It, from what I can tell, it only seemed to go up in Europe from there, um, helped by that record. So yeah, it, you never know when you know when or where a band is going to strike gold. So when you being out of Wasp, is everything was it on good terms or? It was it was on good terms. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't like any kind of big blowout. Mm-hmm. It just uh, it was it was time uh, time that I left and and I did, uh, but you know I'm still. Still on good friends, uh, you know. Still on good terms with everybody, and like when he asked me to to come back, he goes, "Hey, do you want to want to do some recording? We're gonna redo the idol." He's like, "Yeah, absolutely," and that was that was a great experience. So, yes, I would say still on good terms. All good. You played uh, in D. Snyder's solo band and did some shows. What's it like working with D? Dude, well, yeah. <laughs> There, I think I, what I mentioned with Wasp was like how where it took a, a, a little bit to kind of get over the. I was like, oh wow, there's there's a guy that I had on my wall when I was a kid, and now I'm in the band with him. I think I had that with D the whole time because <laughs> oh man, just you know, I, ever purchasing Stay Hungry on vinyl that was so much fun. And D wasn't like I I, I didn't do any like touring with D because he wasn't touring. Uh, at that point, he was just doing uh, flyout dates. I think he, he, the the touring stopped when when Twisted Sister decided to uh, stop touring as a band. Uh, so all the shows that I did with D were one offs. But man, that was it was a completely different animal than Wasp. Pardon, I, that was a bad pun. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't animal. Realize I said that. <laughs> and that was good, man. Uh, but I'm uh, But with with D. It was it was a different approach because of, uh, first I think the ma- big major difference was uh, spontaneity in that with Wasp shows we we knew exactly what songs we were going to do we were we knew the order that they would be in and you know we we knew how we were going to perform them every night uh, with D sometimes he'd be like you know we, I, I, we had to watch him it was like James Brown you know we had mm-hmm. to watch him. Uh, to make sure that I, you know, I wasn't speeding up or slowing down the tempos too bad. Or uh, he's like, oh, hold on, hold on, let's let's bring it down, you know. And and he would, you know, we we put a, a breakdown in in the middle of a song that had not been planned, so he could, you know, uh, uh, go do a back and forth with the crowd, uh, or to, uh, just talk for a little bit. Or, or one show, he's like, right, I think like mid show, he's like, do you know Highway to Hell? I'm like, yeah, I do. He goes, all right, we're gonna play it. Like, okay, <laughs> cool, let's do that. And. Uh, so there are a lot of a lot of more spur of the moment things with D, but he oh man, it's like he still had the energy that that he seemed to have in his early twenties. I mean, you look at the dude now; it's like I, I don't I don't know how old he. I don't know his exact age, but dude's ripped. Yeah, he's, he's got good shape. like that Bruce Lee Bruce Lee Iggy Pop thing going on, and uh, just you know once it, it, it's so fun to go out there with a, a guy who 
not only wants to go out and eat the audience alive, but is still enjoying every minute of it. And that was an absolute blast to go out there and play those classic songs with him. Mike, who are some of your uh, influences as a drummer? Um, I have a, well, chapter one. Uh, I, I've got a, you know, I, I can only pick from a laundry list of, of a whole bunch of guys. I think Kenny Aronoff and, and getting to study with him at IU for, for the years that I did was a gigantic treat, and he continues to be an influence on me to this day. Um, definitely, I mean, all, all the KISS drummers, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, Anton, and Anton Fig, who I guess could also be considered a KISS drummer at that point. Yeah, he's kind of uh, a KISS drummer. That follow- yeah, it <laughs> still is. And, uh, and, and then, but following his other work uh, that he got to do, like with Ace, uh, in the 80s and, yep. and with Joe Bonamassa recently, uh, Anton, you know, is still out there killing it. Um, when it comes to like more like straight up metal guys, probably my favorite would be Gene Hoagland. Um, I, I've always been a big Devin Townsend freak mm-hmm. since uh, he sang on Steve Vai's Sex and Religion record yep. when he was about 19. And uh, and then hearing the Strapping Young Lad material that came out after that with, with Gene on it was massive, massive infatuation and, and influence that I had with that band and with those records. Uh, and, and then since then, like, you know, he's, he's played with Testament. Um, uh, well, boy, he's, he's like sat in with Behemoth and Anthrax, and, and he is just the, you know, go-to metal guy because he is just flawless when it comes to uh, his execution. Uh, he's a big one. Uh, love, love Joey Jordison. Um, had a had a brief kind of obsession with everything he was doing, like with the Iowa record and with uh, Volume Three for sure. But I I get influenced by anybody. I'll find sometimes like just uh, one performance from one drummer will will just inspire a whole new stuff. Like uh, I was watching uh, Manu Kashe on Peter Gabriel's Secret World Live. DVD from like uh, I don't know when that was like 92 or 93 or something like that and just oh friggin good lord it's like him on drums and Tony Levin on bass and it's just like that's a rhythm section that anybody would kill for and they sound just you know so completely amazing so I have a long list of influences um, is there anybody out there that you're just dying to work with and you hope you get a, get a chance to or what, what do you think ooh well if Devin Townsend's listening, I would, uh, would always be up uh, working with uh, Devin. I know he, his strapping is not together anymore, but Devin is just, you know, the guy's a machine. He just doesn't stop putting out new music. And, and every, every record seems to have a different, uh, you know, a different theme, a different direction, a different, a different concept, a different everything about it. And that's what I love about the guy. Um, but sure, there's a bunch of whole, you know, anytime like, uh, I, I know uh, Cook has his guys, uh, the, <laughs> the the talisman. I'm sure you've seen. Yeah. Uh, backing up Gene and Ace, but uh, hey, if one of those guys gets sick, I'd be would happy to happy to sit in. Uh, or sure, you know anyone. Uh, there, there's some legendary artists like Joan Jett. Like, oh God, yeah. would, you know, would, would kill to play for her as well. That would be amazing. Yeah, those would be killer, man. Uh, hey, anything you want to yeah. say to your fans in closing? Any, to my to my three fans that are out there. no <laughs> uh, no no I I I am still in contact with a number of of Wasp fans that that still always you know uh, check in 
and uh, and it, it, it's a real honor to to still be part of that family for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, stay tuned because uh, things are going to be happening as soon as the COVID situation starts to lighten up a little bit, and uh, I cannot cannot wait to uh, to get back out there. There's a couple of artists uh, like uh, uh, Phil X. Actually, I, I was possibly going to do. Uh, his tour uh, currently, you know, current guitar player for Bon Jovi, and uh, he, I've, I got to do some shows with him uh, last year, and oh, and, and he's another performer that just absolute ridiculous amount of fun to play with, and uh, if uh, I ended up not being able to to do it because of of uh, my son, and uh, unfortunately his tour ended up being uh, pulled anyway because you know they closed the states, everything went on lockdown while he was out on the road. But uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to play with him again for sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, stick around because uh, I'll be back out on the road probably before I know it. Nice. Well, Mike, thanks for the conversation, man. We, we covered a lot of cool stuff and uh, gave me some insight to what was going on behind the scenes with Wasp. I really appreciate it. Sure. I appreciate you asking me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I hope all goes well with your son and your family. And, uh, everybody, you guys stay uh, healthy and safe. Thank you. And you too to you and yours, for sure. All right, Mike. Take care. All right. Cheers, brother. Thanks Bye. a lot. Well, that was an awesome interview with Mike. Down below, I'm going to put a link to the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Help them out if you can. Rock on.